We're in our series studying through the book of Ephesians called Spiritual Affluence, which is the abundance of opportunities of our spiritual lives. Now, in the first three chapters, remember, we dealt with doctrine, and that's what we believe. And then the last three chapters, we're going to deal with application, how we behave. So last week, we learned in order to walk in a new life, that Jesus has given to us, we need to change our worldview, we need to act on what we learned, and we need to do the right thing. So now what's going to happen is this week, Paul continues this concept of walking in new life, and basically what he does is he brings this to the next level. And the way that we walk in this new life is we become imitators of God, or we imitate God. So sometimes it's in life, it's hard to find people that are good examples. Other times we find people that are good examples or we think that are good examples. And then we, we follow after them or look at their example and they turn out not to be good examples. So this is why Paul says, here's, here's the truth. You have to look at God himself as our perfect example. Now, some of you might push back on this and say, well, I can't be like God. And that is true. You can't be like God. But the truth is, God is our example on how to live. And the, the truth is that he sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to live on this earth and be our example. So today in Ephesians 5, 1 through 21, we're going to learn to imitate God by walking in love, by walking as children of the light, and by walking in wisdom. So I actually borrowed those three kind of header points from Warren Wiersbe's commentary on the book of Ephesians. So first, we imitate God by walking in love. Uh, let's pick up in verse 1. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So as believers, loving others is something that we talk about all the time, right? We talk about a lot, but the truth is the greatest example of love is John 15, 13. Jesus said it himself, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. Now, obviously, we know that this is, is a foreshadowing of the gospel. Jesus did this in the gospel message. So he laid down his life to pay the price for our sins. He took his life back up again. He rose again to prove that he is God. And three days later, three days later he rose again. And he says, all who believe will have eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell message. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave on your behalf for your sins. So now if he's saying the greatest love is laying down their life for their friends, someone laying down their life for their friends, we realize this. We're probably not going to have that opportunity in our life, right? I mean, chances are you're probably not going to die for someone you know. It might happen, but chances are it probably won't. won't. So the concept here is is showing love by sacrifice. This is what we can draw from this. Showing love by sacrifice. So we can do that by sacrificing things for other people. Things like our time. Our time is very important to us, obviously, right? We all have the same amount of it. Okay, we all have the same amount of time, and it's important to us. We use it on the things that we love, that we feel are important, the things that we want to do, the things that we have to do, whatever it is. But you know what? Sometimes... 
we're called to sacrifice our time for other people. And what that does when we sacrifice our time for other people, it communicates that we love them. It communicates love to them. We can also sacrifice things like our resources, our money, our possessions, the things that we have. Obviously, we know these things are important to us. We've worked for these things. We've achieved these things. We acquired these things, whatever. They're important to us. So when we sacrifice a portion or maybe all of those things for other people, it actually communicates love to them. See, when we walk in love towards others, we'll always be asking ourselves, is this the loving thing to do? In order to be an imitator of God, what we have to do is we have to look and say, is this the loving thing to do? Now, I know a lot of people have a lot of questions about that because then they say certain things that we believe as Christians don't seem loving to the world. But we have to realize this. If God is the standard giver, if God makes the standards, it is unloving of us to keep that from other people. It is unloving of us to keep that from other people. Now, the next way that we imitate God is walking as children of the light. Now, these next verses have a ton packed in them, so I'm going to go over it, but it really comes down to three points, okay? Three points kind of under all these verses. And the first is this, children of the light are pure. Now in verse three, it says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Now this verse describes what happens when our appetite is for something impure, okay? Let me, let me say that again. This verse is talking about when our appetites, the things that we want are impure. What happens is impurity comes out. So if you have an appetite and you're hungry and you decide like, I want this, what happens? You go and find it. It's the same thing with that, this spiritual, this impurity issue. If you have an impure appetite, what happens is, is you're going to find how to feed that appetite. So there's a couple of things here, sexual immorality and covetousness. Let's start with sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? How do we define sexual immorality? Well, pretty much if you do a, a good read of the Bible, if you do a good scan and, and study this stuff, pretty much sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, do you think that's a popular message for our culture? It sure isn't, okay? But that's what the scriptures teach us. Believers should pursue purity. Now, parents, any parents out there, this is something you need to teach your children, especially at a very young age, because there's so much impurity that our culture is feeding our children right? It's not just the impurity that maybe you dealt with when you were younger, because now these kids grab their phones, they grab their devices, and they have their social media and TikTok and Snapchat and all these different things, all these different avenues where impurity can be just filtered into their life. And in some of these, in some of these, uh, uh, platforms, so to speak, these social platforms and stuff, all they have to do is click on one or two things, and then all of a sudden their algorithm 
just feeds it, feeds it, feeds it. You know this to be true because maybe on Facebook or on, on the internet or something like that, you search something, right? You're like, oh, I want to buy this. And all of a sudden, it, it, it's all over the place. I was looking to aerate my lawn. Aerate my lawn, okay? That was a few months ago. I, I couldn't get enough uh, advertisements about aeration. This is the way you do it. Buy these shoes. Walk around in your thing. Rent this. Rent. I was like, are you kidding me? I literally searched it once. So here's the truth. What's happening is the children, our children, are getting infected and affected by all of this. So maybe your appetite was for that. And then you were looking to feed that appetite, and guess what? All of a sudden now, there's a fire hose feeding it, overfeeding it, overfeeding it, overfeeding it. The next thing is covetousness. That's desiring to have something that belongs to someone else in the simplest form of definition. Now, Paul lumps these together because they both have to do with impure appetites. If you're looking around and saying, I wish I had this, I wish I had this, I want this, I want this. I'm looking at somebody else and what they have, and I want what they have. Basically, what's happening is you have this impure appetite. Your life now is focused in on these things. And what happens is you just start to be focused, 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 because you have this appetite and you're not going to be satisfied or in your mind, you're not going to be satisfied until that appetite is appeased. All of you know this to be true because this has happened in your life. Sometimes when you stuff yourself with the things that you think you want, you start to realize that those things are the very things that did not make you feel the way that you thought you were going to feel, right? And you're just like, I don't get it. What's going on? What's going on? Well, the result of impure appetite is what will come out of your life, okay? The result of an impure appetite is what's going to come out of your life. So Paul closes, or Paul, excuse me, Paul focuses in on our words now. Look at verse 4. He says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, we can easily tell, we can easily tell if a person is pursuing purity or not by the things that they talk about. You realize that? The type of humor they have, whether they complain all the time. Maybe your generation, maybe the younger, what they post on social media. You can easily kind of tell what people are pursuing, okay? We don't know their hearts, but guess what? Jesus actually said, out of your heart, what? Flows the, the words, okay? That's where it's coming from. So what happens is, is you're pursuing these impure appetites. And then what happens is it's starting to come out. You're starting to say things. You're starting to say things, post things, do things that actually reflect what's going on in here. But then Paul says this in verse 5. For you may be sure of this. Now, you got to listen to this verse because it's a little controversial. It says, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, who, who, who covets that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So that almost sounds like if a believer has these impure appetites, they're not 
going to be saved or they're going to lose their salvation or they're not going to heaven. But what he's reminding them, because it's not saying that, okay, you can't lose your salvation. What he's reminding them is that people who live their life in pursuit of these things are actually creating idols in their life. And that's how you used to be, meaning those things become your God. Those things become your God, and therefore, these people are probably not believers. Which brings us to our second point, and that is children of, of the light need to be discerning. Children of the light need to be discerning. Verse 6 says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the Son of disobedience. Now, you realize there are many different belief systems out there. And there, many of these belief systems make light of sinful things. They say sinful things are fine. But Paul reminds us that sin is why God has wrath. And that wrath was displayed on sinners that do not trust in Jesus. But those who trust in Jesus, Jesus takes the wrath for us. So now we have believers and unbelievers here. And here's what Paul says in verse 7. He says, therefore, do not become partners with them. So we're talking about discernment now. Okay. We're, he's saying all these things, sinful things, bring the wrath of God. So now we have believers. And then he's talking about the unbelievers. He says, therefore, verse 7, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So now what Paul is saying is we have to discern how much time we spend with unbelievers because on one hand, we want to be a light to them, right? We want to be children of the light. So we want to be a light to them so they see Jesus. But on the other hand, we have to realize that some of the things they're doing and pursuing are not going to be fruitful for us. It's kind of the walk we walk every day, right? You, you have your friends at work or maybe your friends from high school that aren't believers. And, or you have people in your neighborhood or, or people at school, wherever it is. And you're like, okay, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm in their life for a reason, but you know what? They're, the things that they do and say are kind of like negative or dragging me down or they're trying to pull me in. So now you have to discern. And this is, this is a, only a question that you can answer for yourself, really. Like, how much time do I spend with them? How much time should I be around them? It's not easy. I wish I could get up here and say, okay, it's like 15 minutes a day. It's, I can't do that, okay? You have to figure this out. But then what he says is this, children of the light should steer clear of the sinful behavior. This is what we know to be true. So let's look at verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Now, so here's what Paul's doing. He's urging the believers to steer clear of sinful behavior. But he, he tells them, 
you know what? Here's the reason why. They're unfruitful. They're not going to help, meaning they produce nothing good in your life. And some of you, through experience of life, know that. I went down this road, and it was unfruitful. You didn't know that before you went down. You were like, oh, that looks good. Okay, that looks fun. And you went down it, and you were like, man, that was terrible. Because you might be thinking things like this to yourself. Hey, I like this. Hey, that looks fun. Or, hey, all my friends are doing this. But Paul says, you know what? These things, they're going to be unfruitful. I'm just telling you this. Don't let me say I told you so afterwards. I'm telling you, these things are not going to be helpful. Any of you who have parented children, you know this conversation, right? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Like, why, 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 why? Don't do that. I'm just telling you. Why? Wait, don't do that. Just don't do it, okay? Because here's what's going to happen. It's going to be unfruitful. And then they come back to you when they're like 30, and they're like, you were right. You're like, I know. It's taking you a while to figure it out, but I'm just trying to help you here. So he calls them works of darkness. So if we are called to be children of the light, Paul is reminding us that the deeds of darkness are not the things that we should be involved in. In fact, if we see these things, we should call them out. Now, this is where we as believers now are called to take a stand against injustice and sinful things that are happening. Now, this past year, some of you might know this, some of you might not, but our church started supporting the International Justice Mission. If you ever heard of the International Justice Mission, it's a ministry that helps women and children out of the sex slave industry. It helps them out. This is what their mission is, okay? There's this atrocity, sinful thing going on in our world, and these Christians have stood up and said, we got to take a stand. We got to help these people we got to get them out of what's going on. It says we're called to expose the deeds of darkness. And Paul adds that some of the things that people are doing are so shameful, we shouldn't even speak of the things. See, believers should steer clear of these things. And if, you, if you're not steering clear of these things, here's what he's saying. Wake up. That's what he's saying. Wake up. Wake up, you sleeper. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? If you are not going to stand against this stuff, if you are going to continue on and pursue this, wake up. What is wrong? I can't, he can't even say anything more clear than just get up. Wake up. This is where we as believers can be helpful to fellow believers by telling them to wake up. The statement, awake up, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you, is actually derived from Isaiah 29 and Isaiah 60. And it's a call to see the light of Jesus and follow him. Remember, we are to be imitators. Which brings us to the last way that we imitate God, and that is by walking in wisdom. Verse 15 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? According to dictionary.com, the primary difference is that wisdom involves a healthy dose of perspective and the ability to make sound judgments about a subject, and knowledge is simply knowing. And we know a lot of things, right? We know a lot of things, but sometimes we're called to practice 
the things that we know. I believe all the time we're called to practice things that we know, but sometimes things come into our lives that kind of force us to start to practice. You know, anyone can be knowledgeable about a subject by reading and researching and memorizing facts, but wisdom is actually knowing how to apply it. So as believers, we may know what to do, but the wise believer does it. So Paul closes the passage, passage with six things that wisdom is. The first is wisdom is the use of our time. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What does that even mean? Well, we know this to be true. Satan and his demons are out on the prowl. They're loose, okay? And they're trying to take over the day. They're trying to take over the day. So we got to make best use of our time as believers. You know, when you're walking into a situation where you're in a social situation, I sure hope that you pray that you use the time wisely with the people that you're going to be around. You're going to work tomorrow, pray, just a short little prayer. Lord, I pray that I use this time wisely. I mean, there's so many things that you could talk about, right? Especially in our culture today, you could talk about just about anything, right? Politics, what's going on in the world, the COVID virus, pandemic, whatever. Really, like how important are those things to talk about? Think about the time that you have with those people. Time's valuable. Use it wisely with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, in your personal time with the Lord. The days are evil can be a reference to the Roman persecution that they were enduring at the time. But he basically is saying, don't waste your time. The wise don't waste their time. They use their time wisely. Next is wisdom is seeking the Lord's will. Verse 17 says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, how do you do that? Well, you seek God's will in his word. You seek God's will in his word. He has his general will for all believers, but he has a specific will for each one of us. And I can't answer those questions for you, but you can have those questions answered when you seek God through his word. Next is wisdom is not being controlled by substances. Verse 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. Now, if you've been to our church for a while, you know the biblical stance on alcohol is that it's not wrong to drink alcohol, but in, in fact, the, the Bible uses alcohol in celebrations and different things like that, but what is wrong is getting drunk, and the reason is it leads to wild, sinful things. Now, this is not suggesting that if a person does, if a person gets drunk, they do not have the Holy Spirit. Because notice it says, don't get drunk on wine. And some people have even said this, well, I don't get drunk on wine. I like the hard stuff, okay? That's not what this is saying. It's saying, don't be controlled by substances. But then it says, then be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not suggesting that if a person is intoxicated, that they don't have the Holy Spirit. But it is telling us that when a person becomes drunk, they're not listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You all realize, I don't have to teach any lessons about intoxication, you all realize that when people get drunk, they do and say things that are out of character, and of course, they would blame them on the alcohol, so we could see that this substance is taking over. So as believers, we shouldn't drink too much because it's not going to be helpful. But this also raises a concern, and I'm kind of glad I was in Ephesians 5, 
just after this election because apparently 67% of our state voted to legalize recreational marijuana. Now, I am sure I'm about to say something that's going to offend somebody because I can't think that six, some of the 67% aren't sitting right here. But here's the thing. I want to properly help you handle the next phase in our great garden state, okay? And that is, the truth is, we have to realize that getting high would be controlled by a substance, okay? So drunk and high are put in the same category. Now, I know all the arguments, and I've had this because I was a youth pastor, and kids would always ask me stuff like this, okay? But now that it's legal, people are going to be like, it's legal. What's the difference? And they'll say things like this. It's natural, okay? But let me ask you a question. Can someone smoke weed and not get high? Can someone smoke weed and not get high? At the end of the day, guess what? It's not a wise use of your time. Of course, the medicinal stuff, and that's a whole other you know, conversation. But the recreational use, I believe, is not going to be helpful for you. It's not going to be helpful for you at all. And in fact, I would put it in the same category as drunkenness. So next, we find that wisdom is worship. Let's look at 19, verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, that's such a, it's, it's such a beautiful verse, right? It kind of almost gives you that, like, that Christmas feel of, like, a very Brady Christmas. You know, they walk in, they're all singing Christmas carols to one another, not talking, just singing. That's not what this is saying. This is saying worship. The world looks at worship as pointless, and the reason why they do is because they don't understand it. Okay, so if a non-believer comes to church, here's what they're thinking. Is the worship, like, is the music good? They don't say worship. Is the music good? They're listening for, like, good, talented musicians, all that stuff. But as a believer, we look at worship for exactly what it is. It's praising God. And the scriptures are actually saying that is wise to do. So as believers, worship is wise, and more specifically, singing praises to the Lord is wise. We have been blessed here at the church with roughly a dozen people that prepare all week so that we can worship together on Sunday. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I mean, after the week I had and singing Waymaker, that one first song, Miracle Worker, you better believe I'm thankful to come and sing that song because it's a constant reminder of who I serve, of who loves me. You know, I could read the scriptures and I'll get that too, but something about hearing it through music. I mean, God gave us music because it touches our heart, doesn't it? It kind of breaks down kind of barriers and stuff in our emotions. Now, finally, wisdom is being thankful. Verse 20 says this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always and in everything. Does that kind of sum it up? Okay. Like, I can't, be thankful for something and not thankful for something else, okay? All the time, 
in everything, no matter what's happening in our lives, it's wise to give thanks. That's why it says always and in everything. So as believers, we imitate God by walking in love, walking as children of the light, and walking in wisdom. 